Tuesday Night Mystery Club. Hello and welcome to the Tuesday Night Mystery Club. I'm your host, Caitlin McCluskey, and this is a show where I tell guests a mystery story and they try to guess the solution. For the month of February, in celebration of Valentine's Day, I am interviewing all couples. So hello to Connor and Emily. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> so so we, we were kind of talking about this before we started, but just to give the audience an idea. So one, Emily, you have been on the podcast before, and Connor, this is your first time. What is your guys' like, mystery experience level in terms of like books, movies, TV shows, the works? Well, I really like mystery novels. Um, I think they're a lot of fun. Like the Mary Higgins Clark ones I read a lot. But mm-hmm. based on my first time on this show, uh, I didn't do that well. So I, I'm not really <laughs> going to assume that that's going to have any direct correlation to me solving this. Okay. I'm going to say I've got very little uh, very little experience reading mystery novels. I remember when I was younger, I was very into the two-minute mysteries. Um, okay. Sort of... Uh, and they basically immediately told you what the solution was at the end. So you just sort of had to guess for like like a few pages. Right. Connor was trying to tell me uh, before this, he was trying to explain to me that he hadn't read a lot of mystery novels, but he just looked at me across the kitchen and said, I don't read. <laughs> I think I said, I don't read a lot of books. <laughs> He's like, I, I don't read. Um, but yeah, he can read. He just doesn't read. Yeah, I, I can't actually read. Yeah. I want that novel. Yeah, very literal. Okay, I'll leave that in. <laughs> so, so I'm pretty excited about the book I've chosen today because uh, Emily, when you were last on, we did the Secret Adversary, which was the first novel in the Tommy and Tuppence series. <laughs> okay, so there are more, and <laughs> I, <laughs> I read the second one, and it was it was actually a short story collection. So I was like, okay, no, can't do that. But I also read the third one. It's called N or M written in 1941 and so that's the story i'm going to tell you guys today so kind of continuation i thought it'd be fun because you're coming you're back on to to do this one again oh my gosh okay so i was talking to connor before and he was like how like convoluted are these and i was like well the one i got the first time was incredibly convoluted but like, no I, I already had that one so we'll probably get like an easy I couldn't help it. It's it, the other thing is like again, I'm trying to do like love themes for Valentine's Day, and Tommy and Tuppence are like one of the best known mystery couples, like especially with Agatha Christie. So I, like I had to do it this month, and why not you guys? <laughs> yeah, well, if nothing else, it'll give me maybe a slight leg up over Connor, just knowing you know the history I, of Tuppence. Well, I was I was hoping that Connor might have listened to your episode. I, I haven't read the episode yet. I'm sorry. But, uh, I'm just making it harder on myself. I don't know why I didn't do my research. I, I guess I hoped if you had listened to any, it would have been Emily's, but that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> just... yeah, I think the worst answer would have been like, yes, all but Emily's. So. <laughs> well, I think I'm, I'm trying to give you the cliff notes. So I'm like, ah. That's... I think he heard me like in the other room, like yelling for like four hours. <laughs> and like I've had enough exposure to all of this. <laughs> So, so maybe, so yeah, maybe Emily will will have a little leg up, but I'll try and go into the characters. I'll give you, I'll give you the quick rundown. So, in in the first book, Secret Diversary, Tommy and Tuppence kind of re meet each other after several years of being apart, and it's it's the end of the First World War. So they they've both served as, uh, I think they're described as being like 
maybe 19 to 25, somewhere between that age range, the two of them. Uh, so they're, they're young, they've just served, and now they're back in England and they, they decide to form this uh, kind of, not detective agency, but this, this idea that they just want to get paid money to do kind of any random job that people want them for and hopefully adventurer, adventuring. So they call themselves the Young Adventurers. And yeah, some weird side hustle that somehow actually paid off big. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So they go on this whole, as Emily was saying, this whole convoluted story. I won't give away the the ending in case anyone wants to go back and listen to that one. Uh, and so this book, it is now maybe it's it's 1941 when the book is written. And so the idea is now we're in the Second World War. So so they were 20 something back then. Now they're 40 something for the Second World War. And the British military doesn't want their service. So they're, they've both tried to enlist uh, in different forums to be a nurse, to be actually in the army, but no one wants them because they're quote unquote too old. They want younger people. And so they're feeling kind of down and out that they're. Wait, you know, what, what were they going to be hired for? Are they like espionage, like spies or, or it, just that's like not, serving? They were just, they were just applying to be uh, like regular in the regular armed forces. Like I, Tommy may be in the army, regular mm. army. Uh, and then Tuppence would have applied to be a nurse or, I think they had women driving ambulances maybe on the front or something. Provide context in the first one. Like they're not like recognized detectives. They're just like two kids who put an ad in the newspaper being like, right. let us help solve your problems. Um, <laughs> so, like, they don't, they're not recognized in any official like espionage capacity. Like, they're just yeah. like people off the street. Uh, another time. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's a very good point. They have continued. I think Tommy had a job in the secret. The scotland yard or something after that they'd hired him but he wasn't again it wasn't the secret service with scotland yard and he wasn't doing uh he might have been doing more paperwork kind of stuff than actual detecting um and so the other the other kind of thing to note is they now have somehow have like adult children like they have twins a, a boy and a girl who are serving in the war the son is in the air force and the uh daughter is decoding messages like you know like the enigma machine like that that's kind of what oh, she was, a, she was a computer. I remember. Kinda, uh, yeah. I remember yeah. they used to have a like a, a term for like how much like a female quote unquote computer could process in an hour, and they used that as a benchmark <laughs> for the. Oh really? Yeah. That's cool. Because yeah. that was their job. They're just like number crunchers. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so something along those lines, and the twin, the twins, their kids aren't really going to factor into the story because they're off serving, so they're not at home. Uh, but I just... think that was a grain of salt, Colin. Caitlin okay. might be trying to mislead us. Okay. <laughs> I think the kids are guilty. Why'd she even bring it up? <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> so they're they're thinking back to their the last mystery, the secret adversary, and kind of talking about it when a Mr. Grant arrives at their house. And he comes, he's coming from the recommendation of Mr. Carter, which Emily will remember as the kind of like big wig secret service guy from the last story okay yeah so by this point mr carter is retired so he's not involved and that's why mr grant is coming and he says that they found like they have a paperwork job for tommy and that he can he'll he'll meet with him like later in the week to tell him more about it and they they keep talking and tuppence gets a call um from a friend who says that she's twisted her ankle and needs some help so tommy sorry sorry tuppence rushes out of the house and when she's gone, 
Mr. Grant is like, okay, now I can tell you the real job. It's not paperwork. What we really need you to do is we need someone to fight the fifth column. And so the the fifth column was this idea of the the spies within. So the the, the there were people within the government, the British government, the British military, all levels of kind of British system that were German or fighting for the the opposite side, basically. What what happened to their? We're all in this together. We're the adventurers. We don't take jobs unless we're doing them together. Well, I mean, Tommy isn't Tommy isn't lied to her. Yeah, he's probably gonna probably gonna like tell her when she comes back. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So well, like a bunch of like internal espionage from the Germans. Basically, yeah. And so it's 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 much worse than that. It's not that the Germans like just sent people over to start the war. It's like these they either converted people who are already in a higher up positions in government or they've been infiltrating for like decades kind of oh, idea wow um and i think they're this again this book is written in 1941 it's genuinely written during the war and there definitely was that kind of sentiment and so agatha christie obviously doesn't really know what's going on but you can get the idea that she's writing from maybe what the papers would have been talking about or the general idea within the public that there were these people from within hmm crazy that would have been really freaky at the time yeah oh for sure just kind of like not knowing (laughs) okay okay so grant tells tommy about the fifth column uh fight with a friend who twisted her ankle (laughs) right i know so 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 tommy kind of sorry i'm just like what's what's tuppence gonna do like make her nice snacks or something a nurse in the first war maybe she'll bandage it you don't even need to bait. You just sit down. Like, yeah. I just want to write someone's like, come Sorry. over and my ankle. <laughs> um, kind of to, to what you're saying before, though, Tommy does say, what about Tuppence? Like, we're in it together. And awesome. Miss, Mr. Grant basically says, like, no, we don't have a position for her. Like, either it's you or you or no one. Like, you can't come. And Tommy... Tommy basically is is feeling like he's been he really wants to do something for his country and if this is what he's able to do he'll he'll have to lie to Tuppence basically. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Grant kind of goes into some more details and he says they had a man like a secret service agent who had been close. And he but he had been killed. He had been like hit by a car which was supposedly an accident, but of course we know better. And his last words in the hospital had been N or M sans souci so that's where the I'll, I'll, let me explain so n or n or m is the title of the book and the idea that they had was that there were maybe like five high-ranking german officers that were infiltrating in different countries throughout europe so they think that either n and then they go and they go by these letter letters as their kind of secret names so N they think is a man and M they think is a woman. And they think that by this, by this guy's like final words, either one of them they think is in England and is at this, this kind of uh, place called Sans Souci, which was like a um, beachside bed and breakfast on the coast of England. What, wouldn't it be really easy to find them then if they're just <laughs> <laughs> a beachside B&B? So theoretically but because of this fifth column this mr grant hasn't been able to tell anybody about this clue and send one of his secret agents because the, the secret service has been is, is they know is infiltrated they know there's there's german forces within and so if they they don't know who nrm is and there's multiple there's lots of people staying at this bed and breakfast and so they can't 
they can't just send a secret service agent. They need to send someone who's not a part of the force so that the, the infiltrated member, the German kind of spy, doesn't find out about it and is able to then warn N or M. That, okay, that actually makes a lot of sense. I feel like I've been jokingly poking holes in that. But yeah, okay, that's probably what I would do too. Huh. And then uh, Sanssouci, that's definitely just a place, right? It's not like the French, like without suspicion. Uh, I mean, you can read into it what you'd like. But I it's... That anyway wow, I want. you knew that? You, you, you translate that? Sanssouci. <laughs> Whoa, that's impressive. The idea is that it's just the name of this bed and breakfast is called Sanssouci. Okay. Whatever symbolism you're picking up, it's all it's all of you. <laughs> we're still talking to Grant. Grant Grant is here, and now he's he's just left. He's kind of told Tommy all this story about the fifth column and everything, and and what's going on. And he's given him instructions. The idea is that Tommy is going to say that the paperwork job is in Scotland, and that Tuppence isn't allowed to come. Wives aren't allowed to be there. It's like this secret base in Scotland that he's going to. <laughs> sure, right. Okay. Believe it or not. Yeah. So when Tuppence gets home, she's obviously super disappointed about this, but she she kind of understands because both of them had been so sad to not be accepted anywhere. She's kind of like, well, if one of us can be accepted, yeah, uh, you should go. I'll find, I'll figure something else out for myself. That's crazy. I feel like I, I just don't connect with this like sense of like national pride. Like I'm like, man, like so bummed I can't serve in the, the Canadian war. military. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's a different time. I, I think too, like there's this talk of like you can you could hear the bombs going off from the British Isles on the mainland, which I don't. Oh, yeah. So I guess it's it's not as much like oh do it for England as much as like do it so they don't get us. Yeah, yes. why if we don't? If yeah, we don't yes. yeah, yeah okay. a lot more self protection. There was of course patriotism, I'm sure, but. Mm-hmm. So a few days later, Tommy's had to you know, to to. to help with his cover he's had to take a train to scotland and he's come back so it's a few days later and he arrives um at sans souci and is speaking with the owner whose name is mrs perenna okay so she runs this kind of boarding house or, or bed and breakfast and he he gets a room with her he has this elaborate cover story that the mr grant has kind of created for him so the name he has i'm going to continue to call him tommy but he takes up the name Mr. Meadows and a Mrs. Meadows, who is his quote unquote aunt has actually stayed there two years previously. So there is this whole story built up for him. Crazy. And so he, Mrs. Prana brings him into the house and she's introducing him to all the the different guests, which I I won't introduce now. I'll kind of introduce them slowly. Then they get to a um, Mrs. Blackensop, which is a ridiculous name. And who should Mrs. Blackensop be? And <laughs> it's Tuppence. Oh, what? Whoa. What? <laughs> Grant, Grant was just like messing with both of them. And they're like, okay, we need you to go to this secret place. Oh my no, God. it's, it's better than that. It's, it's, uh, well, actually no, take a guess. Um, I think take Tuppence me. has been tracking him secretly because she thought he was cheating on her <laughs> and beat him to the hotel. Okay. I, I okay. think uh, I think that she was hired by uh, another agency to try and figure out the same thing. That's not mm-hmm. a problem yard. Oh, that'd be okay. Cool. Kind of like two competing forces. Mm-hmm. So it turns out Tuppence had faked that phone call from a friend because she knew that Mr. Grant was hiding information, was saying that it was just a paperwork job. She knew that there was something more and he was just not going to say it in front of her because she was a woman. And so she had fake slammed the door and then listened in at the door to the sitting room and heard everything that had happened and knew where Tommy was going. 
Oh my god. Wow. So she just wanted part of the action. Yeah. We, we totally fell for it. We're like, what a dumb excuse. Like, who <laughs> even breaks their ankle anymore? Yeah. Oh yeah. So no one actually did. Oh my god. Now, I feel like it's kind of a like I don't know. It's kind of illogical for her not to just be like, hey, I heard everything. Let's go there together. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Maybe she thought he wouldn't be down with it. Yeah. It might have been that, but I think it was also to kind of the uh, this idea with, that Emily was giving of she's like, how dare you try and leave me out? I'll show you. And so she's oh. kind of rubbing it in. She's she's gotten there a few days earlier, right? Like she's mm-hmm. she's settled. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, this is the this is the candy spirit I remember from Tuppence in book one. So glad to see 20 yeah. years haven't changed that. Yeah. So, so Tommy and Tuppence don't get a chance to talk until the next morning when um, Tuppence kind of explains everything that had happened. And they decide that both of their kind of personas that they're taking on are going to be widowers. That way, Tuppence will be able to act like she's coming on to Tommy because her character has been divorced uh, or been widowed twice. And so it's this idea that she's like trying to find her third husband. And Tommy's character will be like, you know, have not wanting being like cornered you know and not wanting to be have this relationship and so that's how they're gonna be able to like talk to each other <laughs> how did they settle on that this is all just like a long kink setup like. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's totally true it's like let's meet at a hotel i'm a married <laughs> man <laughs> miss black and please <laughs> Um, yeah, so maybe a little ridiculous, but that's, that's how they go, (laughs) go with it. Uh, so they, they leave each other and Tommy goes off and on, he's, they're kind of just walking along the boardwalk before breakfast and he meets up with Major Bletchley. So this is another one of the guests of Sans Souci and he's an old war guy. And so there's this typical, um, like English bulldog to character kind of thing that's described of these these typically single old men who have fought in some war or other and and love to talk about it all the time and the kind of the good old days like that mentality so that's Major Bletchley and meanwhile Tuppence had spotted a young couple who she had recognized the 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 man as being Carl von Dienham and he, this is important. German. <laughs> German. And he is, and he's not, you know, shying away from that fact. He's a German refugee. And so his, his thing is he's come here, he's working in a chemical factory nearby and his whole family had been persecuted by the Nazis. So his, I think his father was killed in a concentration camp and both his brothers are currently in concentration camps. So here he's here, he's a refugee. Okay. Well, oh, maybe this could be a double trick. Like maybe they're like he's his family isn't being persecuted. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rule him out yet. I feel like the Germans didn't frequently tell their own about what was going on at concentration camps, though. Mm-hmm. Like, they could use it as a cover story, but like it's just like I don't know. You didn't know about it unless you were working there, sort of thing. Right. To also to be fair, this is also written at the beginning of the Second World War, so a lot of that like just keep it in mind about how who's like the perspective that this was being written from like the war isn't even finished yet so mm. they wouldn't know they wouldn't even know how bad the concentration camps were like they wouldn't even know them. how bad yeah mm. okay carl von demon yes i'm just gonna call him carl throughout the book call him demon <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i think it's d-e-i-n-i-n so I- i'm probably pronouncing it wrong no. 
I think Connor's been pronouncing tuppence, uh, tuppence? Tup, tuppence. That is tuppence. It's like, it's supposed to be like the British way of saying two pence. Like if you were to cut it all together and have a British accent. Tuppence. <laughs> I was thinking it's like, it's like poppins. Like Mary yeah, Poppins, I've been watching like him write it down and he's telling P-U-P-P-E-N-S. I know. It's tuppence. <laughs> I don't think it matters. <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about. You can't Emily. convince me otherwise anyway, so let's just move on. <laughs> okay. So so Carl is talking with a girl who uh, Tuppence doesn't recognize, and but she's purposely walking by as close as she can get to them without being suspicious because she wants to hear their conversation. And so the girl says, but you must be careful, Carl. The very least suspicion, dot, dot, dot. But you must be careful, Carl, the very least suspicion, dot, dot, dot. So the sentence cuts off. She's walked too far and can't hear anymore. I feel like Tuppence has no chill. Like, I feel like she was, like, trying to play it cool. And she, like, just, like. Yep. Get her, like, hand, to, hand yeah. to her ear, like, leaned over at 45 degrees. Yeah. She goes, <laughs> then she's, like, I got some intel. And he's, like, this is what I've been So that comment also means nothing to me because if she knows this guy she's probably just like don't arouse any suspicion you're already german like people are like are, are just gonna dislike you totally yeah it totally could be yeah if i know anything from about agatha christie from my one other time on this show <laughs> this quote is gonna come back up and it's gonna be like completely out of context <laughs> we'll see so so tuppence comes into in for breakfast and she's chatting with Mrs. Sprott, who is a middle-aged, maybe not middle-aged. Well, I don't know. Maybe let's say she's in her 30s, whatever you want to call that. And she has a young daughter uh, who's maybe two, like a toddler. She's almost speaking, but she's not there yet, named Betty. Uh, And she also, that girl who Carl had been talking to comes into the bed and breakfast and it ends up being Mrs. Perenna, the owner's daughter. And her name is Sheila. So Sheila Perenna was talking to Carl. And Mrs. Sprott has the daughter, Betty. I feel like it would make sense that the uh, B&B owners are, like, in on it somehow. Yeah. I feel like they, like, wouldn't pick a place where, like, they could be overheard by the owner. So I could see Sheila being involved in something. She's a Nazi sympathizer. Okay. Okay. Wait, so Sheila is Perenna's daughter? Right. And she's maybe 18, 20, somewhere around that age. Okay. So after breakfast, Toppence is sitting out on the terrace with a Miss Minton, who's a older lady, and she's complimenting her. Toppence compliments Miss Minton on her knitting. She says, "Oh, that's such a pretty stitch." So that's what's going on. And they are chatting, and then Mister and Missus Kaylee come out. So there's this. There's this like. Tip- there's all these like typical characters that show up in these mystery novels and so you have like the the major bletchley you know english bulldog character old war guy mr cayley fits another kind of stereotype of someone who you know has all of these potential ailments maybe like kind of hypochondriac-esque where they they kind of play up that they're more sick than they actually are and that's so that's you know he has to have the perfect muffler because it, it can't be too warm, but it can't be too cold. And he needs to put his feet up because it's 2 p.m. Or like kind of that's how they, they're playing off this character. He's got a delicate constitution. Yes. <laughs> Good way of describing it. Okay. 
So they come out and Mr. Cayley just drones on and on about the war and how he's just a bore. It's basically what Tuppence is thinking. Okay, so Con, pay attention because Caitlin picks these like little descriptions like specifically. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like it's gonna like come up later. Like it's like he's gonna do something, but we have to remember that he's a hypochondriac. Yeah. <laughs> and Tuppence thinks he sucks. <laughs> Like, I feel like maybe, like, no one's, like, this boring. Like, he's pretending to be boring. Like, mm-hmm. not aroused, like, suspicion. Mm-hmm. Pays only a few letters before M and N. So, meanwhile, while all this is happening, Major Bletchley invites Tommy to go out to the play golf on the golf course. And he, they kind of, what they're talking about is being wary of Carl. So, kind of what you guys were saying before about, like, can we really trust these Germans? And I'm sure that there was a lot of this sentiment going around. Like that's what the kind of the, the internment camps um, in different mm-hmm. countries where they were, there was just so much anti this, this country sentiment because, and no one felt safe because they weren't sure is this person a spy or, or are they really a refugee? Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is an awkward golf game. Like you just want to play golf and he's like, do you think we should put that other guy in a concentration camp too? And you're like, I'm just trying to play golf, buddy. Yeah, but but Tommy is also hyper paying attention. So this kind of is the kind of conversation he wants to get people to have. Yeah, he's like, tell me how you really feel about the trip. Yeah. Well, Bletchy also like super suspicious. You're going to be like, oh man, this guy, this guy's somebody you should keep your eye on. Like, <laughs> keep yeah. your eye on that guy. Come, that's a good point. He's maybe he's trying to miss. But she's talking that noise. Yeah, he's trying to place the blame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, I feel like this is also so sus though. Like, if I were actually a spy, I wouldn't just like take people out to golf games and like tell them who not to trust. Like, I feel like he's actually, like, so bored. Like, he's looking for stuff to do. It was another time. <laughs> so, so they finish that game of golf and go into the clubhouse, the golf clubhouse or whatever, and they meet um, with one of Bletchley's friends, Captain Haydock. And he kind of, it, the, basically the conversation continues and he says that he's disappointed that this this nice girl, Sheila, is seeing Carl. Couldn't she find an Englishman? Wait, sorry. What, what's this guy's name again? Uh, Captain Haydock. Is it Captain Haddock or Haydock? Uh, it's H-A-Y-D-O-C-K. So oh, it is Haydock. Sorry. I, I, I'm, a ter- I'm a terrible person, but she was saying it right. Like if it was H-A-D, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> good point i do pronounce a lot of these names wrong so it's it's well, always we, possible you can't see them written down so we have no context it's only when we make you spell them out <laughs> right i just think it's be harder for you to remember <laughs> Haydock. so if it's had it her to just do it that way okay <laughs> so so later that day tommy's you know game of golf's over tommy goes and has a secret meeting with mr grant they've they're kind of meeting on a fishing pier while Mr. Grant is fishing. And uh, Mr. Grant tells him that they already have their eyes on Carl. They actually, as the Secret Service, it's not suspicious for them to be watching any German in the country. And so they are watching Carl, and especially because he's at Sans Souci. That's so awful. Sorry? That's so awful. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I already know about him. He's a German. Like, I'm keeping my eye on him. Yeah. it was different though you know it's like i feel like um this isn't the same as like the the japanese in america like there probably weren't too many german expatriates yeah yeah okay yeah maybe i, I have i have no idea it's very possible i i could be wrong though. i'm talking about my on my bum i don't know 
Okay. In any case, they so they Grant don't think telling telling, uh, telling Tommy that they're already keeping an eye on Carl. Yeah, so keeping an eye on Carl, but they don't think he's going to be N. They just they think that N or M, whoever it is, has to be British because otherwise they would rouse suspicion. Like the Germans would know that any German in Britain is going to have their like someone watching them. So Carl could be a communist. Yeah. He might be like one of the, you know, someone down lower in the totem pole, but he's not going to be the top. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Where is it a company though? I feel like that's, there's going to be like a bomb coming up later. That's, that's a prediction. Making some chlorine. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so he, Mr. Grant also finds out about top ends and he's shocked and impressed, but it's basically like, yeah, let her, let her continue. <laughs> she Sounds proved good. herself. Oh basically. Basically. I now. <laughs> <laughs> So before, before dinner, Tuppence and there's, we have another character. Her name is Mrs. O'Rourke, O apostrophe R-O-U-R-K-E. Sounds good. So they're talking about, they're kind of, Mrs. O'Rourke wants to talk about all the other guests. She's one of those types of people that kind of is, is always watching. She's a gossip. She wants, she wants to, she wants to chat. Definitely. So she thinks that Mrs. Perenna is Irish and this is important because uh, Prenna is saying Mrs. Prenna is saying that they're like from Spain and like be like half Spanish and kind of going about like that. But Mrs. O'Rourke is convinced that she's hiding something and that she's Irish, for whatever reason. If if that's important, that's her that's her opinion. Also, oh, Prenna's Prenna and her family are saying that they're Spanish. They're saying that they're half. I think the, the hus- They're saying that their husband, her husband who was dead, is was Spanish, and so the, they're saying that Sheila would be half Spanish. Mm. Hmm. wait but Perenna never said she was Spanish I don't think she's saying she's Spanish but she's also not saying she's Irish and right. okay. Mr. Burke thinks she, that they were the whole family's Irish I have no idea how this fits into anything larger but I'm excited to see where this becomes relevant <laughs> yes uh, the other thing is that Mrs. O'Rourke is, again, clearly watching. She's noticed that Tuppence said she was a bad knitter when she was talking to Miss Minton, Minton earlier in the day. But when watching Tuppence knit, she saw that she's actually a much better knitter than she had let on. So the knitting kind of comes up again in the importance that Mrs. O'Rourke notices things. And Tuppence needs to be more careful of that. What a weird thing to lie about. I feel like yeah. you Oh, I'm so trash at knitting. Things where you're like doing a fake persona and you just start lying about everything because like it's just easier to make up lies than like tell the truth. And I feel like that's how you get caught. That's what I've that's, seen in spy movies. Yeah, you probably want to like minimize your lies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so in this book, Tommy has minimized the lies. Tuppence has gone all out. She has, <laughs> she has three sons. Uh, that are all in different different areas of the military, the British military. Um, she's been widowed twice, and clearly she can't knit, even though she can. So probably more things than that. She's like, I'm left-handed. Like she's like, don't even ask me. <laughs> like I couldn't. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, she she really went for it on the lies. Yeah, I could see. Okay, I have a prediction that this is gonna backfire, and someone's gonna be like. Tuppence. You're gonna be like Tuppence, how are your three sons? And she's like, What? I don't have those. <laughs> yeah, but he's gonna like still be undercover and he's gonna have to break cover to like save her or something. I, yeah, that's my prediction. I don't know. We'll okay. see. We'll see. Okay. 
So Carl isn't at dinner that night. So it means basically that everyone at the bread and breakfast feels like they can kind of just talk about all their anti-German sentiment um, without (laughs) worries. And, you know, they go in talking about spies, yada, yada, yada. And of course this pisses Sheila off. who's kind of like seeing this boy. (laughs) Uh, And so I I wrote down here that she rage quits. And I think it's just she basically like gets up in the middle of dinner and like tells them all there are terrible people and leaves the room kind of thing. That'd be pretty fair if people were talking shit about my boy. I would, yeah. I would rage quit dinner if they were talking shit. Thank <laughs> you. That's so sweet of you. Uh, so Tommy goes to talk to her because he's kind of interested about her her opinions. And this this is was I when you guys were talking about patriotism patriotism earlier. I thought it was interesting. Sheila says that she hates patriotism. She doesn't understand why all of these people think they can fight for like why do they care to fight for their country it doesn't matter uh and then she says that her father had fought with all the other irishmen in in their war earlier and that he had been shot and so this proves mrs o'rourke's theory even though tommy and tuppets haven't talked about it yet that in yes the father was in fact irish huh Okay, so I feel like if Sheila were a spy, she wouldn't be spewing these, like, you don't have to be loyal to your country. Mm. Like, I feel like she'd be like, I'm British through and through. She's also 19, so I feel like she can't be that. that, that yeah. Sure, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so Tommy and Tuppence meet the next day, and they talk about their suspicions of Mrs. Perenna, the mother. And that's including the kind of Irishness. And as Tuppence, Tuppence is walking back towards the house and approaching the house, she sees this strange woman peering in at the at the gate going into the yard. And as she gets, she kind of is able to sneak up on her because she, the woman's not paying very much attention. And so she gets close enough to kind of startle the woman. And she says that she, she gives, she has a foreign accent and she gives a, uh, a name of a man like she asks is mrs is mr rosentine staying here and tuppence is convinced at once that she just made up a name to to ask for so that she could kind of get out of there knowing that it was not a real person uh, and she's a foreign accent yeah she has a foreign accent that tuppence can't place but and oh. she doesn't recognize this woman convenient for plot okay. <laughs> yes okay crazy exactly. plot. this strange woman is the real mrs prana it was a spanish accent and this fake Irish Mrs. Prenna is an imposter. Mm-hmm. I think that, like, why, I, how would you, how would you, she like, take over somebody's identity. B&B? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like, oh, this is mine now. Prove it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm Spanish. <laughs> um, I'm just saying, I, I'm just saying, you know, in another 20 minutes when we find out that's what happens, people will be able to rewind and be like, Emily called it. I just want to, I just want to have it be said that M makes a bunch of baseless and wild <laughs> predictions. So if he makes one that happens to pan out, it's a good chance it was luck. <laughs> okay. Keeping it in mind. <laughs> yeah. So Tuppence says this woman has left. Tuppence goes into the house and as she gets in the house, she hears like the faint ringing of the telephone. And, and this is important because, that it's in the 1940s so there would have been a telephone in the hallway on the ground floor and then there would have been a telephone in mrs perenna's room as she's like the owner so on the second floor and the telephone on the ground floor would have had a normal telephone ring that you would know but the kind of extension telephone the one that's on the second floor not the main telephone had a different like more of like a click or something it was a different kind of ring and it's important because tuppence hears it 
immediately recognizes that's the telephone on the second floor and so picks up the receiver of the telephone on the first floor to listen in on the conversation okay I definitely missed that, but okay. So, so there's, she's she's listening in. She's listening there's in. only there's only two telephones, right? And she knows it's not the one on the ground floor, so it's the one in Perenna's room. So she's listening in on Perenna's call. But she'd be right. right beside the telephone on the ground floor, right? So she'd know it wasn't ringing, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So so, and it's not necessarily that it's Mrs. Perenna on the phone. It's more like anyone could theoretically use it because the doors aren't locked, but mm-hmm. it's in it's in Mrs. Perenna's room. So okay. she picks up the phone and she hears. One voice say, everything going well on the fourth then as arranged. And then the next voice says, yes, carry on. Sorry, repeat what the first one said. Everything going well on the fourth then as arranged. On the fourth fourth. then? On the fourth fourth, then as arranged. So the, it's, it's pointing to the day the fourth that's coming up. That's when they're going to drop the bomb made at the chemical factory by Carl. Boom. Prediction. Okay. All right. <laughs> so it's only it's only the one voice we hear, and is it the voice coming in? We so we hear both voices. The one that's on. So as the first voice says, "Everything going well?" Question mark. Second voice on the fourth. Then, as arranged. No, first voice says, "Everything going well?" Period, and it's it's cut off. She doesn't hear the beginning of that sentence. So it's okay. dot dot dot. Everything going well? Period. On the fourth. Then, as arranged, and then voice two says, "Yes, carry on." Okay, cool. Got it. And she, it's one's a man's voice and one is a woman's voice. I'm not sure if she knows which one is in the house and which one's not. Uh, does she know which voice said which? She does, but I didn't write it down. Okay. Not to say it's not important. Um, I just didn't think about it being important or not. I don't think it's important. I, I, I think I think that it's such fragmented conversation that really it could it could be either, and it, yeah. it'll be fine. Well, I guess I we just know that like um. We can say like, oh, everything going well on the fourth and as arranged. But that could every- that could that's almost definitely the person that's at Sansouci. In which case, if that's a girl or a guy, we should probably know. No, but it could be a question, right? Like they could be saying, oh yeah, it does sound like everything's going well on your end. Uh, are you still good to go on the fourth? Like, we don't really know the intonation, whether or not it was a question mm. or uh, an update. Yeah, but carry on. Like you don't guys, you don't... I'll I'll look it up. I'll look it up. I'll look it up. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> but can't, like, they if you say, say carry like, on, that's like you carry on at the place. Yeah, it could be. It calls me like you carry on at like headquarters, like giving me updates, getting me the bomb materials. I I disagree. I think it's I think it's pretty clear cut. I think you haven't made a single prediction about what's gonna happen yet. So I would be good. I don't think it's a huge deal. We we can probably go on. You think you'll be able to manage without knowing? <laughs> <laughs> Screw off. <laughs> okay. Okay. So it was a man's voice Tuppence heard, everything going well on the fourth then as arranged. A woman's voice said, yes, carry on. Perfect. Okay, thank you. Am I going to write that down on principle? Cool. <laughs> well, let me figure this thing out. Crack this case open. Oh, gosh. Okay. So that happens. Tommy and Major Bletchley are invited to lunch at Smuggler's Cove by Captain Haydock. And so... That's a TV bar in SF. <laughs> It's a house near uh, near this golf course or Sanssouci or just in this town in this story. Okay. So it's the, I think it's on the same, I don't know. It's it's in the same village. It's on like the same road as, as Sanssouci, like up the hill or something like that. And it's Captain Haydock's house. And it 
seems that Captain Paydock's like party trick almost is to tell everyone that the house had previously been owned by a German spy. And he's like, loves telling the story. And so this is how Tommy hears about it is that there was this man like a decade or so earlier who had bought the house and Captain Haydock had previously lived in a bungalow nearby. And he goes on and on about, he was convinced that it was a German spy and that no one would listen to him. And he kept trying to tell the authorities to investigate and yada, yada, yada. And then finally they had investigated this guy or, or maybe something else happened. It had nothing to do with Captain Haydock probably, but, uh, they did investigate the house and found like radio transmitters and secret compartments throughout the house. And they built stairs down to the, um, the water so that like theoretically boats could land. And so captain Haydock is feels like more by accident proven correct about this German guy. Hmm. I say the German's still living in the house. I say <laughs> is the German and he invented this narrative to like, be like, Oh, it wasn't me. It was some crazy German spy. I found him out and bought the house. Like I think, us, but yeah, there was a German guy who had bought the house, and so then, but Captain Haydock then buys the house after the German guy leaves or is arrested. Okay, well, I bet they were in cahoots. I bet like okay. he was like I suspected him all along, but really like <laughs> they were, like working together or something. I feel like Captain Haydock and Bletchley are like the least likely, and that's why I feel like okay, yeah, okay. I can recruit Tommy. Got it. So they go through this whole whole spiel that uh, include, you can see on Bletchley's face. He's like totally zoned out because he's heard this story a gajillion times because Captain Haydock tells it. not like my war stories. This is boring. Yeah. So, so the next morning at breakfast, at the breakfast table, Tuppets makes this like big deal of reading one of the letters from her quote unquote sons. And so this is where, this is why she's created this part of her persona. And she tells everyone that... Her sons can't really tell her where they are because like that it would get blacked out by the, um, I, I forget what it's called, but like when you wrote letters to people, you couldn't. Oh, like they, it would get redacted. Yeah, yeah. Redacted. That's the right word. So she kind of says, you know, they can't really tell me, but we have a secret code. And so she explains that there's, they have a, they have a special word. And after that word, all the first letters of the words that follow spell out where her son is. And so that's how they get around it. And Major Bletchley makes a big deal about like how no one should be doing that. And I think Mrs. Orrook, uh, Tuppence says like a mother, a mother should know, like I'm his mother. I need to know. And Mrs. Orrook pipes in is like, yes, a mother should know. Like, I think that's totally valid. And really what Tuppence is doing is she's setting a trap. She wants someone to come and try and read her letter. Okay. That's actually really clever. I was like, Tuppence, these lies need to stop. Now you're just doing it for fun. Oh yeah, that's pretty clever. Okay. Right. It does seem it does seem over the top. So she goes out uh, on a walk and she's secretly writing letters to her real kids. And on her way back to the house, she sees Carl and that foreign woman talking. And as she gets closer, they break apart. And so she kind of asks Carl about it, and he says that the woman was just asking for directions and he doesn't know who she is. That's a lie. That's um, definitely a lie. Yeah. So she's she's unsure too. She's kind of, I think, weirded out that this woman is still around, basically. Like, what's she doing snooping around? But I feel like she can't really be a spy because she'd be kind of shit at it, just like hanging out, <laughs> and, like, staring at things. Yeah, I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, I like to think she's uh, the real spy. They're more low pro. And also, like, they've, they've been saying that they think this person is British. Yeah, ambiguous foreign woman isn't a good cover. I am not a spy. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, so that day, so when she gets back to her room, she knows that her letters have been tampered with because she had put an eyelash between the folds of one of her letters <laughs> in the lockbox and the eyelash is gone. So she knows someone has opened them. And also she kept it in, she had kept it in like a lockbox, a metal lockbox, and she dusts it with fingerprint powder and there are no fingerprints on it, which she knows is not true because her fingerprints should have been on it at least. So she knows it's been wiped. And so that makes her think that it's it's not just the maids trying to read her letters. It's like someone who knows what they're doing. Crazy. Mm. That was like a clever idea, but I feel like she should have gotten Tommy to like watch her room. Cause like, what? Like now she knows there's a spy in the hotel. Like yeah. we already knew that topic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, like, who did she say that in front of? Did- yeah, I was just about to say like, can we assume that everybody was there for her letter thing? We're assuming everyone was there. The kind of her idea was to do it at breakfast while everyone's eating so that everyone knows. Yeah, I say again, now we know there is a spy. Yeah. (laughs) Shocker. (laughs) So early the next morning, um, Betty, so this is like the little toddler girl that's kind of, I don't know, she's constantly like described as cute and whatever. So that's kind of like a fun addition for the story in some senses. Betty's the agent. Oh my God. Betty's the agent. So she comes into the room with a picture book wanting tuppence to read to her and so it's goosey goosey gander is the book and so that finishes and tuppence kind of starts thinking about what they're going to do about this letter like trying to formulate a plan and she doesn't notice that betty has pulled out all her shoelaces and is dipping them in a glass of water so the mother mrs sprout runs in and is so embarrassed that her daughter's doing this and is going like i'll buy you new ones and tuppence who has actually had kids and knows what they're like is like don't worry it's just it's they'll dry it's fine no not a big deal kid things wait what's betty's mom's name again mrs sprott that sounds kind of german yeah you know what um i think i i'm seriously considering mrs sprott on account of a betty dipping shoelaces in water seems like some learned behavior some from like some weird spy thing like maybe dipping mm. stuff or to like see if something comes up on paper oh, like secret words that's a really good idea like toddlers don't do that yeah <laughs> Yeah, and also Mrs. Sprout, we really don't know much about her. So, like, why is she Why is she even here? Like, what's up with that? More like Mrs. Sprout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I see it. That's a really good theory. So, because, because you're asking, I've, I've left out a lot of detail about these people. But so Mrs. Sprout is, um, her husband is a is a banker in London who just wanted to get his family out of, because it's like the, the what's it called? The Blitz? Oh, or Like yeah. the bombings? Yeah. So he's he sent his his wife and daughter to Sans Souci to kind of get them out of the the city and out of harm's way. And so they've been here since when, whenever that started, or since the begin near the beginning of the war. Hmm. Well, maybe Mrs. Sprott was the woman on the phone, and her husband was the man on the phone, and hmm. he was in finances through the bank. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So. So the Toppence gives Tommy some, oh my gosh, asafoetida, asafoetida, A-S-A-F-O-E-T-I-D-A. How would you pronounce that? Uh, Asafoetida. Can you use it in a sentence? Uh, I'll tell you what it is. (laughs) I guess pronunciation doesn't matter. It's this, it's like some substance that smells really terrible. Asafoetida maybe? Safetide? Not too important. It's been used. Uh, this came up in the Man in the Brown Suit, which I I um, released over the summer, and it's the same kind of thing. It's like it's used as this like ex- it smells extremely bad, like 
um, rotten flesh kind of idea. And they're using it because the bad smell will allow, if he puts it in his room, it will allow him to have an excuse to change rooms. And there's currently a free room across from Tuppence's bedroom. So he does that. And then the next step is he fakes hay fever. So he kind of goes around sneezing all day and then retires to his room because he has hay fever. So he can't, he's now, you know, resting. And all of this, this in turn with, is it, it will give him the ability to keep watch on Tuppence's room. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Should have done this before the first letter spun, but they're going now. They're here now. Right. So I think the idea was they were trying to prove, is someone looking at Tuppence's letters? Yes. Now let's try and find out who it is. Um, sorry, I got so caught up on how you would say that, um, that I forgot what they were using the acephatide for. <laughs> they just wanted to make Tommy's room smell bad so that Tommy could change rooms to the only vacant room, which was across from Tuppence's bedroom. Okay, right. So now they're set up so Tommy can keep watch. And then Tuppence makes a big deal and makes sure everyone knows that she is going down to London for the whole day. She's going to be away. So no need to worry. And she does make a note that Sheila walks her to the train station and waits with her until the train leaves. So she kind of makes a note of, was Sheila ensuring that she got on the train? Ah, okay. So the next day, Tommy tells her what had happened in her room. So do you guys want to take a guess at what Tommy saw? I think Tommy, he said he saw something and maybe, maybe he heard something like somebody going into the room. I'm going to say Tommy saw Carl go into the room because I think maybe Carl and Sheila are working together. Okay. So he first starts by saying the maids went in to clean the room. So that was normal. And while the maids were in there, Mrs. Perenna went in, but she was never in the room alone. Who we did see go into the room for 15 minutes alone was Carl. You're right. Yeah. I feel like Carl, no one trusts him anyways. So if I were to send someone like to go, like, go do my dirty work, it'd be Carl. Because like, yeah. not much to lose. He's already on the radar, right? Yeah. Okay. So so there, Tommy and Tuppence oh, are upset. Okay. Because... Oh, I've, got a, I've, got, I've got a theory. <laughs> okay. Got a theory. <laughs> so Carl says he doesn't know the foreign woman he was talking to. I'm going to say the foreign woman is working with the spies or is one of the spies and she's, uh, she's blackmailing him, saying, we have two of your brothers in a concentration camp, and if you don't do this thing for us, then we're going to kill them. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So it's both. That's a, that's a good theory. Because Carl, I mean, it seems like, alibi checks out to me, but I could see him being manipulated. Yeah. Okay. I could see there being multiple groups at this hotel. Like, maybe, like, there are the spies, and then there's, like, Carl, and he's doing his own thing, and, like, maybe there's, like, some people who like seem sus are really like CIA and a different branch. Yeah, well, right. I feel like the whole like anti patriotism thing is probably sort of out of guilt as well. Like maybe she got goaded into doing this for Carl and she feels bad about it. And she's like, no, like this is, I'm doing this for somebody I care about. I don't care about my country. I care about Carl. Yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> I care about Carl. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. So. So, so Tommy and Tuppence are a little bit disappointed because Carl had had like a good personality and they had liked him. So they're like, oh, that's a shame. Um, but that's war. Is <laughs> okay. uh, And then they decide to call in Albert. And so I don't remember, Emily, if I really used Albert as a character, but he was in the last book. He was the doorman that uh, Tuppence used to kind of help her with certain, certain activities. Okay. Uh, so Albert, Albert was this doorman for in the secret adversary. He had worked uh, at the same building that one of the spies had worked in there. Uh, I'm kind of, that's a spoiler. Sorry for if you haven't listened or read that book yet. 
but so Albert come they they then hire him as like a, a servant or butler or whatever when they kind of have their own family and he has gone off and now owns his own restaurant or pub. And so they call him kind of asking for his help again because he's helped them throughout kind of their life to, to varying degrees. Cool. From, from doorman to butler to pub owner. What a, yeah. what a there you go. So at lunchtime, Tuppence sneaks off to go into Mrs. Prenna's room. So that was their other idea. So they kind of are suspicious of Mrs. Prenna and then they've seen Carl go into her room. And so they're going into Mrs. Prenna's room to go through her letters. And she basically finds finds nothing. Like she doesn't find anything in her um, locked drawer. And then she doesn't have time to do anything else because she hears someone coming up the stairs. And by the time Mrs. Prenna kind of catches her, she's gotten to the medicine cabinet and is pretending that she's looking for aspirin, saying that she has a headache. <laughs> so... Mrs. Prenna, you can't really tell if she totally believes her. It's like, it, it seems like both. But Mrs. Prenna does say, um, don't you have asked, like, you have aspirin of your own, which Tuppence realizes the she does have aspirin of her own, but it's hidden away in a cupboard. And the only way Mrs. Prenna would know about it is if she had gone through her belongings. Oh, mm. crazy. Well, yeah. Okay. So maybe let's say Carl was like a, a red herring. Maybe he's being blackmailed. Maybe he's not really the spy. Maybe Mrs. Prenna is the actual spy and like all of the hotel's maids and like they're all in on it. Like it's like a whole mm. but like it doesn't really matter that she's never in there alone. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I think I think Carl's innocent, honestly. Like I, I bought into Carl. I think it's like either he's being manipulated or he's just like not he's not one of the spies. Also, it's too early. Right. This this book is a little bit like um it's kind of like a slow ending. Like it slowly gives you the solution in a sense. So I am mm. going to ask you guys pretty early on to tell me what you think. Mm. Uh, can you give us a, I don't know if this is allowed. Can you give us like a, an idea of how far into the book we are? Yeah. We're, um, we're maybe just under halfway. Okay. Okay. So Tuppence kind of, she has to now fake that she has this headache. So she just stays in bed all day. But the next day, Mrs. Bratt had been, she was going up to London to run errands, but probably visit her husband quick, things like that. And she kind of is, it's this hint that she's hoping someone will take care of Betty so she doesn't have to worry about her, which is everyone, there's enough women at this place that are eager to ha- like have a little kid for half a day and kind of spoil them. So Tuppence takes the morning shift and then Mrs. Minton takes the afternoon shift. I would say why she was visiting her husband is, is just because she misses him. Like, why can't she bring uh, Betty? I, I don't think it's, I don't, uh, the husband I'm throwing in there, they don't actually say that. I'm just guessing that if you were going to London, you'd visit your husband. It's more that she, she she's running errands. Um, um, I, I think this was normal. Like the fact that Tuppence had done it too is like you, yeah, yeah, I don't know, yeah. your monthly city trip where you buy things. I, <laughs> I don't yeah. really know. No, that makes sense. What? I'm with you, I'm still suspicious of yeah. her. I, I was suspicious of her in general. So anything she does, okay. I'm like, uh, yeah, same. Yeah, more. Okay. So, so Tuppence is taking the morning with with Betty, and so they go start by they're reading picture books, and she goes to. She's finding it interesting. They have Betty is like aware that they have like the bad, quote unquote bad nasty. She calls them nasty copies that are like they're they're old, and so Mrs. Sprott has bought new ones. And Tuppence is recognizing that this woman is of the, the this new generation that thinks germs are bad. And so in, 
Tuppence's opinion of raising children, germs are fine. Like you should let them ingest some germs, which is topical with the coronavirus. I wonder, you know, I feel like parents have gotten like worse, not worse is the wrong word, but have gotten more and more like don't want their kids around like clean, no germs, that kind of thing over the years. Well, okay, so now I'm thinking back to Mr. Kelly, the known hypochondriac. Right. Biological warfare themes. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think it'd be a bit ahead of its time, but who's to say? Mm-hmm. Okay. So in any case, they have like the nicer copies of these books that, that are to be read. And so they go through those. And then, then Betty gets kind of traded off to Miss Minton. Uh, and they go off for a walk. Well, Tuppence kind of, st- you know, she's staying, hanging around the house. She's Sorry, talking to Who had the ratty old copies and who had the good copies? I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's Nazi. I think they're both in the same room. Oh. Or okay. I assume it's Mrs. Sprott's, like in Betty and Mrs. Sprott's room. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they've got two copies of the same book? Apparently. I, I guess you, they had like the copies. I don't know why they didn't throw them out. Uh, okay. From the you had the bad copy and then you just it got worn out and so you bought a new again version. i think this could be part of like the dipping thing i think it could be like dipping in like to see a secret message and maybe she's getting like these letters through these ratty old books i, I watched an, a, a, an episode of hit tv show white collar where they <laughs> smuggled things in children's books so yeah no, i don't see that. that and yeah, they're yeah. probably ratty because she's putting like some weird oil on them with like with light in order to see uh, oh yeah okay okay uh, so, so it's later that day, Tuppence is talking to Mrs. O'Rourke in her room when she, uh, and it's kind of the same thing if she's just very good at remembering things. Tuppence does slip up and say she has two kids and Mrs. O'Rourke goes, I thought you said you had three kids. And Tuppence has to like come up with a quick Clap lie. Yes. I just said she had twins. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they're talking and suddenly Tuppence sees that foreign woman's face in the garden. And so she runs out of the house and kind of starts searching around, but she can't, she doesn't see anyone anymore. There's no, like, she can't find anyone, but she thinks that's strange. It's like back to this woman of where's she coming from? Mm-hmm. So that afternoon, as I said, Miss Minton, Minton has taken Betty out. And so meanwhile, Tuppence is sitting with the Kayleys outside on the terrace. And Mr. Kaylee is complaining of Betty and how he basically hates children and that she's running, she's constantly going into people's rooms or like running around and, and making noise and all this kind of thing. So he's a great guy. <laughs> Take away. Okay. So he doesn't like germs and he doesn't like kids. He, yeah. And it's, I think it's more in the description of he's like, kids shouldn't be allowed here. And it's like, what, but you, you chose to come to a place where kids were allowed. Like, why did you just not... <laughs> Like go to like an adult only fancy hotel yeah yeah exactly so no one has any sympathy for him <laughs> kaylee <laughs> so so kind of everyone starts coming home at the end of the day and they're all sitting out on the terrace and betty's kind of playing this game where she like goes out into the garden and brings like back rocks or something for everybody as like gifts <laughs> and uh, around 7 p.m., Mrs. Sprott notices that Betty hasn't come back for a while. And so they go out to look for her and they don't find her anywhere in the garden. And then they look around the house and she's nowhere in the house. Wait, is Betty, Betty an actual toddler? Betty's like, she... two years old. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who lets a toddler do that? <laughs> Again, like they might have been kind of concerned about germs, but this is still the 40s. So mm. uh, yeah, they're also on like some secluded BMB out in the countryside, like. Wait, yeah, you would be a woman that pops in and out of the garden. 
Tell Benny to mind her. <laughs> Good point. So so they're all looking around and they go out into kind of the, the front, the, the roadway. And a neighbor says that they had seen the girl with that foreign woman about 30 minutes ago. Oh my God, Courtney called it. Classic. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Foreign woman nabbed Betty, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So Mrs. Sprott clearly freaks out. She like, she's like clutching onto Tom Tuppence and um, she goes there. There's like, you know, everyone's kind of like in a panic. And so she runs upstairs and comes back down with, there's a, there's been a note attached to her, her rock. That's been, looks like it's been thrown into her room. Sorry. In, Spr- in Sprout's rock? room? In Mrs. Sprout's room. Crazy. How high tea in like, I took this rock from Betty. I have Betty. <laughs> It says, we have got your child in safekeeping. You will be told what to do in due course. If you go to the police, your child will be killed. Say nothing. Wait for instructions. If not, dot, 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 X. Wait, and, and Sprout's just like showing everybody this? Well, she's, she's in like this huge panic. So she runs down. I think um, Major Bletchley is going, we have to call the police. And so Mrs. Sprout has gotten this note and is like, we're not calling the police. Like, yada 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 and so major bletchley gets all the men in the place to be on his side so they all go yes you have to call the police and so mrs sprott is like you cannot the men shouldn't have a say we need to ask the mothers and so all the mothers are like yeah if it was me i wouldn't call the police and so that's the whole big deal okay Hmm. so it ends up being mrs prenna i guess because she's the owner of the establishment gets the final say and (laughs) arbitrary I know she's your child, but this is my bed and breakfast. <laughs> it's it's almost like everyone looks to her of being like, you make the decision because they're kind of fighting over what they should do. You're a business person and a mother. What say you? <laughs> right. Even with the right. highest amount of authority within like a mile from here. <laughs> <laughs> and Mrs. Prenna basically say says, the police are suck. They're no good. You should go after, after them yourselves. That sounds like something a spy would say that stole Betty yeah. and is in cahoots with the foreign woman. Don't bring the police around here. <laughs> okay. In any case, they uh, they know that Captain Haydock has a car, so they they kind of run up there to get him, and he throws some maps in the car, and it ends up being that um, Major Bletchley, Tommy Tuppence, and Mrs. Sprott pile into the car with Captain Haydock, and this is for... I think Bletchley and Tommy, because they're men, so they're, like, obviously going to go. And then Mrs. Sprott basically said, you're, you're not leaving without me. And Tuppence was the one of the only people that knew um, this woman, the foreign woman by sight, because she's the only one who's, like, seen her before. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm getting, like, main character energy from this car. Like, it's all, all the people who are really, really in it. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe I forget. So did the, did the ransom letter say exactly where to meet? No, it said just uh, chill till we give you more instructions. So, so yeah. where are they going? So they that's where they throw the maps in. If they they're kind of just planning to like scour the landscape all around them. Seems not very effective, but I, I I wouldn't know what else to do. Yeah. 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 Well, so they they start by going to the train station. So I guess it's like start at the major locations or, oh, or yeah, train yeah. centers. Okay. Can you imagine if this turns into like a child trafficking story? Like they expose some like child mapping. <laughs> yeah. Thing. I'm not saying it's not. <laughs> so they get to the train station no one at the train station like has seen them get on any trains like they haven't directly been there but a man does say that he thinks he saw them in like on a nearby street and he kind of points them in the direction they were going 
So they, they drive up there and they end up like they get to a dead end road and then just start driving on the hillside, like near the cliff's edge, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think someone has binoculars. Someone has binoculars with them and they're looking around and they see two, two figures. And so they are two spots. And so they're like, they're, we've, we've got them. That's them. And so they keep driving over this like hillside uh, and basically catch up to them. And at a certain point, this woman notices them and p- picks up Betty and runs towards the cliff's edge. And there's this feeling that she's going to throw the, throw the girl over. Oh God. Okay. This is just, this is really intense. Yeah. Keep going, keep going. So, so they all get out of the car. They've stopped. Um, Captain Haydock has brought his, he's got like a, a pistol or revolver or something with him. And so he's, he's pleading with her to, um, to put the child down. He's like, I'm not going to shoot. Just like put the child, like give us the child, that kind of thing. And while this is all going on, Mrs. Sprout, when she had gotten into the car with Tuppence, had, she had run back into the house and she shows Tuppence that she had um, taken Captain Bletchley's pistol. Okay. So as that's all going on, a shot rings out and uh, the woman collapses. She's been shot in the head. And then Mrs. Sprott collapses crying because she had just shot this this woman holding her child. Oh my God. What a what an aim she had. That's crazy. That's fire yeah. aim. Yeah. I would not even hold a gun in the direction of my child. She fired it at her head. Sprott's a spy. Calling it now. No, Sprott is a spy. So the, the kind of the group of them is like, yeah, the crazy aim. And that's, that's like what a, what a mom will do when her child's in danger. <laughs> My Moms can lift cars <laughs> off their babies. when Cars and shoot a yeah. meter wide target a million kilometers away. Yeah. I don't think they were that far at this point. They were, they were. Oh, what did you say about a house? How did you get Haydock's gun? Oh, so Haydock has his gun. She had in the, in Sanssouci in the boarding house, um, Major Bletchley had a gun, had a pistol, and, and the- he had bragged about it before. So Mrs. Sprout knew that he had it, and she had she had taken it because she was she. she I think she told Tuppence like, "You never know; it might come in handy." Also, how crazy that foreign woman was just hanging out on a cliffside with the child, like not like you know working on her ransom call, like just like going for a walk. Yeah, it, what happens with this? They kind of talk about it as if. Um, it's like that's how you would you could get between two towns and so they think that she she had probably been planning to sleep in this it's like kind of like wilderness type thing um overnight and then slip into the this other town and be able to take a train out of another town what if okay this is this is really out there Mm -hmm. um what if that was her actual mom and sprout like manufactured this whole thing and she had taken betty as a sort of cover-up story Oh. Uh, does when okay this whole note the ransom note right how did they find it exactly mrs mrs sprott had found it in her bedroom and, and then she brought it down did anybody else see it um i think i think everyone had seen the note but did, did like everybody see that she picked it up from her room or did she bring it no down? i don't think i don't think anyone had gone up with her okay that's actually a really good theory. Yeah. Um, I expressed been guilty this whole time. And I'm thinking, yeah, like she's silencing this woman now. She's like, no, hey, doc, don't do it. Pow, pow. Yeah. Or yeah, Bletch- yeah. Bletchley or whatever. She yeah. didn't even wait to see what would happen. She was like, we need to shoot this woman right now before she can Yeah, she anything. needs one through the eyes because she's going she's gonna to squeal. Mm-hmm. That's my little theory, but continue. <laughs> I'm really impressed by it. Even with these great theories. I don't even know if they're right. I'm just like... <laughs> thought of them i just wouldn't have thought of that at all yeah okay 
So it turns out they kind of days later, they're able to figure this out because the authorities get called in. Um, uh, this woman was a Polish refugee and they're kind of looking at it. She, a large sum of money had recently been deposited into her bank account with no trace. This and so scratch, scratch my theory, I guess. <laughs> well, okay. Also Polish. Okay. Polish. Yeah. Okay. So they kind of, they, um, they're kind of suspected they're suspecting that someone had paid her to to do this is the idea paid to take the child okay um and then a few days later they arrest carl and sheila kind of comes crying into tuppence's room she feels so bad for her or tuppence feels bad for her but she's basically like it's possible carl's being framed but also like we we saw him we saw him going into my room and look like we know someone looked at the letters so the oh, wait, she sorry, can't, she can't like covers totally blown at this point then like they come clean no 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 sheila's just sheila just sees tuppence as like a motherly figure and so is upset that her boyfriend has been arrested yeah but you said like going into the room like like did did, did, did tuppence tell her that like she's been staking it out Oh, no, no, no. Tuppence doesn't tell Sheila that. She kind of just is trying to comfort her and say, like, but maybe he is a spy, you know? Like, maybe you shouldn't feel that bad for him. Cut your losses, girl, is what she's saying. Basically. So when when Tommy meets up with Mr. Carter later, he finds out why Carl had been arrested. And uh, they had found in his notes at the chemical factory, he had a list of fascist sympathizers to approach at the factory. And he had detailed, um, in, like a detailed scheme on how to um, s- sabotage food stocks with chemical, like basically chemical warfare. Oh my god, I totally called it. Car- Wait, Carl at the chemical plant. Yep. I was thinking bomb, and then I said uh, chemical warfare. Oh yeah. And I was like, that's way too ahead of its time. They wouldn't do that. Right. Oh yeah. So okay. then, kind of the last thing, like the shoe in the coffin, because they they're kind of saying those things could have, like, it's possible they were planted at the chemical factory. But they found um, his shoelaces, when soaked in water, would produce invisible ink. Whoa. That Betty was doing, right? Right. And so so Tuppence is like, Betty Betty kind of went into everyone's room. It, you know, it was very, po- that, that would make sense why she was doing that. Kind of what you guys were saying. Kids yeah. don't just do that. She must have seen it. So she saw it from Carl. Crazy. Well, we don't know that. Maybe she also saw it from Mrs. Fraught. Yeah. Wait, so, so what exactly was it Carl was using the shoelaces for there's so so mr carter talks of it if they've only seen it once before with buttons so they had seen it before where someone would have buttons on their coat and if you soaked the buttons in water it would turn into an invisible ink that you could use oh, okay, okay. Uh, and so that's what the shoelaces were if you soaked them in water the water would give you invisible ink that you could write with right yeah but did they, did they say that they 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 thought carl was doing that or they had proof that he was doing that um, I don't think they have any, they don't go into that. They just say his, they were his shoe, like they had taken his shoes and his shoelaces were. Okay. I, I, okay, I'd, yeah. still, I'd still believe he's being framed. Yeah, I can still believe Carl's and I, framed. I can yeah. still believe, and I still think that Mrs. Sprout, like why would Mrs. Sprout leave, like why would Carl do this in front of Betty? Yeah, no, like I think Carl's innocent. Okay. Free Carl. <laughs> Actually, no, Carl, Carl did go into a room. That was really sus. That was weird, but I still think he's innocent for some reason. I don't think it's Carl. Yeah. Okay. I think maybe he didn't buy her story and he's like, who is this lady? Yeah. Maybe. But why was he talking to the foreign woman? Is the thing. Gosh, I don't see this this is how it gets so complicated. There's all yeah. these like pluses and minuses with all these characters. Yeah. So 
so at this point, the story starts to kind of come to light. And I was, I was, I was telling Connor this while you were in the bathroom, Emily, but the, the idea is that, or what happens is it's, we kind of get the solution slowly in like stages almost. So if you want to take like, this would be the point to like officially make your like full guess of everything that's happening. And Mm -hmm. then I'm slowly going to give you bits and pieces and then you can keep either adding or um, changing or whatever your guess as we go. Okay. Okay. So there's, we know that there's NNM that are supposed to be meeting here. I think Mrs. Sprout is definitely one of these agents. Okay, so she's M. M is the, N or M, M is the woman. Yeah, so M is the woman, and let me check something really quick, actually, in my notes. So on that phone call, okay, that's weird. So it was the inverse. In, In that case, it was like the inverse of what I said, because the man said everything going well on the fourth then as a range. And then the woman said, yes, carry on. Mm-hmm. So, oh, okay. So maybe, hmm. Yeah, I think it's Sprout, first of all. And then I think the other one, I don't think it's Carl. You don't think it's Carl? Yeah. Um, I was going to let you make your prediction. And then I was going to say my prediction. Everything going well on the fourth then as arranged. I feel like that phone call might have had something to do with maybe the planned capture of Betty or maybe the fourth was when Sprout left for London. So the, the fourth hasn't happened yet. Oh, never mind. Okay. I'm thinking, here's my theory. Okay, Wait, so how do we know that it's a man and a woman? Uh, they, we told us that information when he got assigned the task. Okay. So it, it, the, the, the very beginning, the original spy who had died had said N or M sans souci. So it's kind of the idea that they thought that N or M of these secret agents was was at Sansuzi. But they didn't know. Those it was just those words. Oh, it would have been one of those secret agents, and we think that one of those secret agents is a man and one of them is a woman. Right. Okay. So I think that Sprout was at Sansuzi and they were gonna meet up on the fourth. I still believe that. I think she might not even necessarily be Betty's mother. I think okay. she might have set that up. And if she is Betty's mother um, then the foreign woman was probably acting to try and take her down. I think Carl also knew about it in some way, okay. but he was silenced. Okay. I think I think that Carl's innocent. I think he has nothing to do with this. I think the foreign woman was asking for directions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Mrs. Sprout is a German spy, and the foreign woman was part of an allied thing to like kidnap her baby and make her like explain what was going on. And I think the man in this whole operation is the English bulldog, Mr. Major Bletchley. Okay. Um, and I think he's like the uh, like old boy of the operation and he's like super English and classic and like no one will suspect him mm-hmm. and they're working okay. together. Right. But, 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 and like one of the agents isn't necessarily there. So it might just be one of the two, in which case it could just be Sprout. The other one could be coming on the fourth. I think they're both there. I think that's my theory. Okay. I think, yeah. Yeah. All right. So that, this is like, we, we still have a good chunk of the book to go. So definitely if you want to change anything as we go. You think we're doing well? We'll find out. Are we doing better than Scarlett and Matt? <laughs> <laughs> you you can get into that. I'm not going to compare <laughs> guests. <laughs> have an I thought Matt and Scarlett were good guests. Yeah. I thought they, they had a good conversation. 
Okay, let's hit it. Okay. So, um, I don't know what day we're at now, but... Uh, so Tommy's just found out about talk to Mr. Carter and maybe the next day he goes off. Um, he's set up to play a game of golf with Captain Haydock and he's kind of on this hunch that maybe Major Bletchley has something else going on. And so he kind of says to Captain Bletchley or sorry, Captain Haydock, he kind of says like, so Bletchley, he's kind of a mystery man. And so the idea is to kind of get Captain Haydock to talk. And so Haydock is he kind of takes the bait in the sense that he's like, what do you mean? He seems like a perfectly ordinary man. And, and, and Tommy keeps going like, Oh, you're, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you're right. And, and eventually Captain Haydock does go, Oh, well there was this one time, but unfortunately um, two other golfers come up and he doesn't finish the story. Huh? That's great timing. This is a, this is a big validation for what my, my theory. So why did you think Bletchley? It's just so obvious. It's it was like I don't want to be like it's obvious in case I'm wrong, but like I feel like it's so classic to be like he's an all around English old boy, like nothing to see here, just like a classic English stereotype. Like if I were a spy, I'd be like an old English dude. Yeah, okay. Fair Probably enough. not actually. That'd be hard for me to pull off, but like <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, okay. I see where you're going with that. So so Tommy gets himself invited over for dinner and he's kinda he wants to get the captain to keep going on this story. Um, and so uh, the captain is like, he's basically complaining about how this administration is doing everything terribly and that the the Secret Service and like the army is like blundering everything and that he should be in charge, like he'd be better at the administration. So kind of these talks that, that uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Like bluff, not blustering, but he's full of air. This may be the right expression. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's going, you know, no one is, no one is good. Everyone sucks, blah, blah, blah. Like posturing is what he's doing is the phrase. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, that. So as this is going on, Tommy's kind of like not super paying attention, and he notices that the the butler, um, that Captain Haydock's butler, kind of looks German, which is I I don't know if there is a look, but maybe people maybe disagree with. Someone looked German in the forties. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So. So that's that's happening, and so he decides that he's going to try and casually mention the phrase N or M and see what happens. And so he throws it, he throws it out in conversation and the servant like makes this huge fumble and spills uh, like the dessert all over time. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay. So at this point, so, so Captain Haydock like gets super pissed and then brings at, at the butler and then brings Tommy into the bathroom to kind of get washed up. And just by total fluke, Tommy drops the bar of soap and then slips on it and then hits a like secret compartment in the bathroom, opens up a wall, and there's a giant radio transmitter. Oh my god. Wow. Okay. So he's he's like, I have to play this off. I have to pretend like I know nothing. And so he goes into, oh my gosh, like clearly the authorities didn't find this radio transmitter when they arrested the German who owned the house before you. And he goes on and on about that. And he really doesn't think Captain Haydock's going to buy it, but he, he manages kind of to get away with it. And so he, he leaves the house and at luckily at that moment, there's two, two other golfers walking by the house. And so he meets up with them and walks back to Sanssouci with them. Crazy. Okay. So he's turning into the gate to Sanssouci and he's, he's thinking to himself that like, you know, he needs to go tell Mr. Carter when he gets bashed on the back of the head. This happened in the other book too. <laughs> okay. Okay. So pausing here, 
I feel like it couldn't be the butler. Like, that would just be a cop-out. Like, oh, this guy we've never really heard of. Like, he he did it. Right. Doc's probably doing it. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe the butler is the guy. Yeah, I'm not sure. The butler freaked out. We can't ignore that. He freaked out when he heard Eminem, so he's in on it at the very least. I guess we don't know what side he's on, though. Yeah, so we don't know. If, like, maybe maybe he's on a good side. Maybe Bletchley's, like, undercover for our side. It'd be crazy if, like, everyone in this story is in it. Like, they're, like this is, like, <laughs> a town of people who are all German sympathizers. Yeah, or they're all, like, British spies that heard it from different people trying to find out who it is. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe, like, that, like, that foreign, like, all these things are just, like, distractions to get, like, Cuffins and Tommy out of the way so they can do what they really want to do. I don't know. Yeah. God, no, it's a really tough call. They get bludgeoned on the back of the head. Um, Where's Haydock? You know, yeah. um, he had he had waved goodbye when Tommy had left the house and se- like gone back inside when he Tommy met up with the other golfers. Well, that was Bletchley though, right? No, he's with- no Haydock. Haydock. Oh, sorry, it was Haydock's house, yeah. right? Because Haydock's, Haydock's house was like German info house. on on Bletchley. Right, right, right. right. Hmm. Okay, let's keep going. So while all that's going down with Tommy, Tuppence is playing bridge with the rest of the women at the. In the in the breakfast room. No, that's not important. It, well, I don't know that they are. What am I saying? She's playing bridge with the rest of the women at the bed and breakfast at Sans Souci. And so they're kind of in the middle of the hand. And Mrs. Sprott had gone out to, to take a telephone call. And she comes back in and says that she had just saw Mrs. Prenna coming into the house, looking a little flustered. So she thought she had been out for a walk. Okay. So the women are kind of talking and... It's the game's going poorly because things just keep interrupting their game. So Mrs. Cayley goes out to check on, on check in on her husband, Mr. Cayley, because he's you know always needs to be checked in on. And apparently he's gone for a walk around the garden, which is super abnormal. He never goes for walks. Okay. Mysterious. And then when a- Mrs. Prenna comes in, and when a- asked, uh, she's kind of not gets angry but kind of is like what do you mean i i didn't go outside i'm kind of one push further she goes well i was just checking the weather so that seems a little odd hmm. so the card game continues and then mrs over comes into the room and she's holding a hammer that she says she found on the driveway that she used to bludgeon i bet i bet tommy Brenna used it to bludgeon tommy yeah yeah i yeah. can see that that's why she's flustered flustered yeah so word gets the the kind of night continues with uneventful but word gets around the next morning that tommy never came home and so kind of the talk of the house is that he was staying at someone else's house wink wink (laughs) they never say why uh and tuppence being the you know her character is supposed to be this widower that's coming on to tommy she goes he would never mr meadows would never do that like that's not his character etc but by the evening, Tommy still has not returned home. And so finally, they all agree that they should call in the police. And no one has any idea what happened. The police kind of do do this search and no one has seen Tommy. They, they find the golfer, like they talk to Captain Haydock had seen him leave the house. The golfers had seen him go up to the gate. And so it's like he gets to the gate and then disappears. Crazy. Okay, Miss Prana definitely whacked him. Mm-hmm. Wait, wasn't he walking away with the two golfers when this happened? Well, the golfers- he, so you... He- Sorry, go ahead. He had walked out of Captain Haydock's house down and met up with two golfers, walked down the road, and then the golfers had left him as he turned in at the gate. So he had gone into the grounds of Sans Souci. Mm, okay. So that's where he's last seen. Yeah, I'm thinking 
I, I'm I, I'm still so confident about Sprout, but now like I'm trying to think how Perenna fits into this. Like, oh yeah. Maybe again like another German sympathizer, like you said, like there's more than one here. Maybe like just the fact that she owns it means that she's at least like open to the German side. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, the only clue we have is this MRN thing. Like, who's to say? Yeah, maybe maybe Perenna saw Sprout whack Tommy over the head with a hammer and sort of mm. let, it, let it go because she's like, okay, I support these people, but she's flustered because she's like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So meanwhile, this is kind of like a this new storyline. Meanwhile, Deborah, the daughter one of the twins of Tommy and Tuppence. She's mm. she's off in whatever whatever she's her decoding area and she's kind of explaining to a colleague of her hers um Tony that her mother has been acting like having weird behavior lately. And so she explains that her, her she'd been getting letters from Tuppence from her mom saying that she was at this Aunt Gladys's house taking care of Aunt Gladys and she'd been there for the whole like this past month but a friend of Deborah's had gone to visit and stop by and say hi. And apparently Tuppence had never been to Aunt Gladys's house and wasn't there currently. Okay. Well, yeah, that makes sense. She's like lying to her kids to yeah. be like, I'm not right. at home. Yeah, yeah. Right. So so then someone, she kind of like mentions to Tony's kind of telling her, maybe your mom's having an affair. So Deborah doesn't take too kindly to that because they know that the the father's in, off in Scotland, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So they say. And then she says that someone... Another friend thought that they had seen her mom, had seen Tuppence in Lee Hampton, which is where Sanssouci is. Okay. And Tony kind of, his ears pick up at that, like Lee Hampton, but he kind of still goes, maybe it's just another man. Oh, okay. So the next day, Deborah comes back to her room and she finds that the picture of her mom that she kept on her dresser is missing. Tony. Crazy. So Tony's an informer. What does Deborah do in the war? She's a code breaker. Uh, yeah, she's a code breaker. So Tony's probably like well yeah it's a column flag thing right like everyone in on the inside is actually like German and like secretly infiltrating yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. oh I bet there's gonna be some big crescendo where like they're trying to take Tuppence down because they know who she is oh wow maybe so so the next day Tuppence has to be the one to go meet with Mr. Grant because Tommy still hasn't returned and he tells her that they they do know that the attack is going to be on the 4th. So that conversation that was overheard on the phone, the 4th, that's mm-hmm. when the big attack on Britain is going to happen. Okay. Mm. So they know that, but they don't know where it's going to start from. And so that's kind of what they need Tuppence to still figure out. Yeah. So And it's a week from now. The 4th is a week from now. So she has, she has a week to figure this all out. Uh, okay. And she's probably like, do you have any idea where my husband is? I'm a little <laughs> sad about that. <laughs> He he basically says we can't help you or we'll blow we'll blow the cover because we can't you are still technically like no one should know about you even if they know about tone uh, about Tommy yeah right okay yeah yeah so she can't be offered any help uh, and Mr Grant also tells her that they've done some digging on Mrs Perenna because of her Irish roots and they know that she's working for the IRA oh really yes what did the IRA want in World War Two um Nothing. good question. I don't know enough about the IRA, but I assume that they just never stopped being against Britain. Even when there was more going on, and they're like, Irish freedom! Yeah, I mean, part of them just wanted, yeah, like, independence, right? Yeah. Okay, crazy. So she's not German. She's not German. So they say she's part of the IRA, but they can't prove that she's not doing anything more than that. So there's, there's maybe some idea that maybe the IRA is helping the Germans out. 
Yeah, but again, maybe this is the whole thing where, like, she knows that Sprout's in on this and she witnessed some things that she's done and she sort of let it happen because she's, like, written. So Tuppence leaves Mr. Grant. She's kind of doing some errands in town when she gets approached by one of Deborah's friends, Tony. And he warns her that kind of her cover might have been blown. Like, he warns her that Deborah is questioning about the St. Gladys thing. So she, like, thanks him for, like, letting her know and then she, he suggests that she go and stay with Tommy in Scotland. So he's kind of saying he knows, you know, he's he's working with Deborah in this like code breakers, but really he was he was planted there by the British Secret Service to try and um, find fascist sympathizers within the ranks. And so he's like, so I kind of know what's going on. So I I, I knew you were here, so I'm just letting you know what's going on. I think you should go stay with Tommy in Scotland. So she tells tells him, well, actually, Tommy's not in Scotland. And then she also tells him that they have a secret phrase that they use, whereas they they sneak in the words penny plain into uh, letters to be able to communicate with each other. Okay. So so he says that he'll try and help her. Tony does. Tony says that. I don't know if I trust Tony. I don't Mm -hmm. know if I would have told him my secret code. Well, yeah. Like, (laughs) why would you tell him that if you were the only person you told the suspect thing but your mom to and then her photo goes missing? Like, there's no reason why he wouldn't tell her that he took it if he did take it. And there's no reason for anybody else to take that photo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, Tony's definitely, he's a bad guy. He's a fascist sympathizer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so we kind of jump to to Tommy, because now Tuppence and Tommy are separated in their stories. And he's kind of coming to, he's been passed out for, it seems like several days now, and he's tied up, bound in a basement of some sort. And so he's kind of trying to figure out what to do when Haydock's butler oh. comes down mm. and brings him water and bread and cheese. Okay. So Haydock might be in on it. Maybe. I don't know. Haydock's kind of dumb. Yeah, maybe it's just the butler and he's got that. this like crazy old German house and he knows mm. all the nooks and crannies of it. Yeah. Maybe it is the old German agent. Oh, oh that'd be crazy. And that he's like got crazy. like facial reconstruction surgery and then he came back as the butler to like yeah the butler's son yeah something like that so you guys are real against haydock um he comes down next oh (laughs) so he he comes down and informs tommy that the only reason he's not dead yet like they have no use for him is that it's pretty hot and a body would smell and so they're waiting for the next boat to come to shore that they can basically ship him out on and throw him into the ocean i imagine them doing this in like a german accent now (laughs) it yeah they kind of tommy kind of describes that he can now see again they're talking about looking german so i don't know how true that is but okay well i i feel like i was off with like that one old british boy being secretly german but th- this is the one i i, I missed it up. Yeah. the other old british guy yeah yeah okay so tommy is like freaking out because he can't get these he can't untie his hands he can't like he's basically stuck in this basement there's no way of warning anyone when he hears a whistle like someone's whistling a tune and he recognizes they're they're doing it wrong, and the way they're doing it wrong, he recognizes from the last war when Albert would whistle that tune. So he he does the only thing he knows how because his he's uh, he's gagged, so he can't like cry out, but he can snore. So he starts snoring SOS. What? Which okay. I will not do myself, but you will have to imagine it. Okay, like dot dash dot or whatever dash dot dash. Like yeah. short snore, short snore, short snore, long <laughs> snore, long snore. Oh my god. Okay. Uh, and so 
meanwhile, Albert, Albert, they kind of describe as like he's maybe a little bit uh, slower. His when he when he loses something, the first thing he does is always go back to the last place he saw it. So he has he is no he knows that Tommy's missing. He knows the last place he was seen was Captain Haydock's house, and so he's kind of just strolling around the grounds when he hears someone what sounds like grunting or like a pig, and then he notices that it's S O S the that it's the pattern. So lucky for him, Albert does pick up on it, yeah. and that it kind of we cut that out there, cut out at the story. Oh, crazy! Okay, yeah. So we're back to Tuppence, and she's gotten her morning mail, and she gets a letter that is addressed from Penny Plain, and it's telling her to go to this uh, specific train station at this time today. This is Tony. Like Tony, Tony's such a sus guy. He's yeah. Take her out. Oh, also going back, like one thousand percent, Sprout took Haydock's gun. He probably gave it to her. Bletchley. Bletchley. Did she take Bletchley's gun? Yeah. Oh, it wasn't Bletchley's gun. Haydock was with them. Haydock had a gun on really. Yeah. Oh yeah. crap! Okay, never mind. Wait, I thought Bletchley was with them at the cliffside. It was Haydock who was with them. Oh, Bletchley and Haydock were there. Oh, okay. So she's gotten this letter and she goes upstairs quickly. We have another quick interlude with Betty being cute. She wants to play hide and seek. <laughs> she was just in the Kaylee's rooms room. Cause again, kind of her going in and out of rooms and uh, Tuppence artistically leaves the letter on the nightstand because she knows people are reading her mail. <laughs> so she, as she's leaving the gate, she there's a, dark p- liquid puddle outside the gate that she steps in but it keeps going and goes down to the train station i don't know why she's doing this i guess she thinks it's um it's her husband possibly mm-hmm. I, it's so she she basically she takes a train she gets off and she's brought to tony it seems like she knew it was tony and and tony there's this he's he's telling her it was this idea like they have this conversation where they said they'd help each other out mm-hmm. and so tony is telling her a we just caught um, there was a parachutist of a woman dressed like a nurse who we caught and she had, was supposed to be making this rendezvous with a dentist in the next town over. So we're going to make you up and put you in the nurse garb to look like her. And then you will go visit the dentist to be able to like find more information for us. Oh, so maybe Tony's actually with the CIA and he's very chill. Maybe. I feel like... Um... Yeah, but still, like, why would you take that photo and not say, like, I'm the one that took the photo? Well, he's doing, like, a secret operation. Maybe he didn't want to tell her. Mm. But then he still told her, right? No, he didn't tell the daughter that he was going. Oh, he never told the daughter? No. Oh, okay. No, the daughter doesn't know. Oh, yeah, maybe Tony's fine then. Well, yeah, I feel like if I were, like, trying to get someone to do a secret operation for me, I wouldn't go to a, a British undercover spy to, like, do this weird double... <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also kind of, like... She was never the one who was originally supposed to do this, though. Like, it was supposed to be just Tommy. So would they have her photo? I think Tony's fine. I think uh, okay. I think Tony's chill. Okay. So, so in any case, they, they give her the clothes. She insists on keeping her own shoes because they've told her that she has to walk five miles across the downs to get to the next to the next town and that's because that's what the, this parachutist nurse would have done. And so it needs to be as realistic as possible. So she gets to the the dentist's house in question and they it, she's let in by a woman and, and brought up to a room and she's shocked by the person that walks in pretending to be the dentist. Oh. Oh my gosh, who's is the it, dentist? Uh, is it Mrs. Mr. Kaylee who's gone missing? Um okay, I, I guess I'll guess it's 
probably a man. Maybe it's Mr. Haydock. Maybe he's doing all this stuff. I think it's Mr. Kaylee. It's Captain Haydock. So you're right. Yeah. So oh, okay. she she doesn't know anything about Tommy and what's going on. She doesn't know that Captain Haydock is involved. And so she's shocked to see him walk in, even though us as the readers kind of have an idea about it. Yeah. Okay, crazy. So she pretends to still be the nurse. Like she's still trying to keep up this 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 guise, even though it's clear that Captain Haydock knew that it was going to be her. Like it's it's she's he's kind of saying, you've walked right into my trap. Like I knew it, I, I know who you are. I know you're Mrs. Tommy Beresford. Like I know, I know you, you go by tuppence. Oh and okay. basically he tells her, listen, we know, we know, you know, stuff. Uh, and you're going to tell us everything. Yikes. Okay. Are they like alone? Yeah. It's just, it's just uh tuppence and Captain Haydock. Hmm. Okay. So she wants to say something super, like kind of con- maybe condescending or rude. Like she's ba- basically trying to wants to get something across to be like, I'm not telling you anything. And the first thing that comes to mind, because she'd been reading the stories earlier in the day, she tells him Goosey Goosey Gander from Betty's uh, children's books. <laughs> and she's extremely impressed with how furious this makes him. And he tells her, you've just given it all away. And he leaves the room and uh, she's left being held up at gunpoint by the um, female assistant that is right. also a spy. This circle back to like the whole Mrs. Sprott, two copies of the books, yeah. stuff in children's books. Yeah, exactly. Okay, keep going. So he's made a call, it seems, and he goes, uh, he comes back into the room and he tells Tuppence, where's it hidden? Where'd you hide it? And Tuppence is lost beyond belief. She has no idea what's going on. She, she doesn't know what she possibly could have hidden. Oh, they took one of the books. Maybe somebody on the inside, like Mrs. Piranha, took one of the books. And that's got like the message in it that they need to like know. Like a secret code or something? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Mm. So, so Tuppence, he says, I'll give you three minutes, then I'm going to shoot you. And so she just tries to kind of the waste this time. And at the last second, a shot rings out. Mr. Grant has arrived and has shot Captain Haydock. Whoa. Wow, that's crazy. I wonder if they'll be able to figure this out with him dead now. I bet I bet it's Mrs. Sprott. I bet she's the the other side of this. Wait, what happened to the female assistant holding her at gunpoint? I she 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 was only there in the room um while Captain Haydock was gone. So when Captain Haydock comes back, she leaves. Oh. So this is if you, if there's any tying up of the story that you would like to do or this is kind of this is now like where they get into the, the real final solution. Okay, so I'm gonna say that Haydock was in on this the whole time, and Sprott was in on this the whole time, and she was getting these um, children's books as messages, as secret codes, and she was writing down um, secret messages in them with her shoelaces, um, mm-hmm. and then sending them off uh, or receiving them. And then they they all tried to put uh, the blame onto um, what's his Carl on the Carl, yeah, that's pretty much it. And, it's only and like Carl the- was actually a good guy who was working with the foreign woman to abduct the kid to blackmail her to get secrets about the Germans. Yeah, yeah, that could be it. And then somebody okay. took the book. Maybe Carl took the book. Carl's in jail. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, sorry. Yeah. Who took the book? Who took the book? uh maybe the ira lady like she's yeah, trying, to, Perenna, right. trying to do some more stuff i could see that yeah yeah okay. and then, um yeah i guess that's it i guess the only thing is are they we we know that there's n and m are they both there then is it both just sprout and and uh haydock yeah. or are they just like well i guess maybe it was sprout because haydock wasn't really at susie like he has his own house nearby yeah 
fair. Yeah, maybe that's the case. And yeah. yeah. And then Sprout and him were talking through the books. Or maybe Sprout was talking to Germany through the books. Yeah. Either way, I- I'm dying to find out what, what, what happened. Yeah, that's where I'm at though. <laughs> okay. Okay. So so they get they get they get Toppins out of there. I think they go I basically she tells them we need to get back to Sanssouci as fast as possible. Like she tells Grant drive like at breakneck speed. And they get back to the house and Toppins has in those like three minutes everything like came to her kind of thing like she she realized what was going on and so she runs up the stairs with grant following behind her and she goes into the kaylee's room where betty had been that morning wanted to to play hide and seek and so this sadly because you weren't reading it you wouldn't have this information because i it was hard to bring it all in uh betty liked to play hide and seek with her toys and so toppins has realized that betty has hidden the goosey goosey theater book in the kaylee's room right and so she in there finds the book and kind of mrs sprout walks in at that moment and is basically arrested nice nice and so you guys were exactly right like you're bang on in i feel like you've got parts of it separately throughout well I, I, I smite sprout from like a thousand miles oh, away yeah. but but so i don't remember if it was emily or connor said um that was the foreign woman betty's real mom yeah, that was me. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> I think it was probably. Betty's real mom. Yeah. And so so they kind of, Toppin says she realizes at the last minute that no mother would ever shoot someone with their when their child could easily die. Okay, like, I she had that missed. part. That didn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. So if her, if her kid had been, like, there's no way a mother. And so that to her is, and it would make sense why this woman, this woman had been paid this large sum of money for her daughter. Like as, oh, uh, like yeah, that makes sense. So she had come back. She decided she wanted her daughter. And so she had come back to take her back. Yeah. But that doesn't explain why Sprout needed the daughter. Was it just justification for the children's book? I think it was probably like a really good alibi. Yeah, exactly. It was like no one would suspect a mother of bringing her child on into a secret service mission. And of course she wouldn't. It wasn't her child. Yeah. Crazy. Man, okay. that was great. Well, what about Carl? Right. Oh yeah, no, sorry, lots of explaining to do. Yeah, Yeah, I'll I'll keep going. Uh, So they they get Tommy out of the dungeon. They'd kind of had to leave him there for the cover. So Captain Haydock didn't suspect anything, I think. Okay. I don't know. They they get Tommy. And what what had happened was that dark colored puddle that Toppins had stepped in earlier that day. It It had been something strong smelling that dogs could smell. And so she'd insisted on keeping her shoes on because no matter what they made her do, these dogs could track her, basically. Huh. Okay. They had been able to follow her to this dentist office, and that's how they got there in time. And so then they kind of go into it. So yeah, Haydock had he had they'd been in it from the beginning. Mrs. Sprott, um, Haydock is N, and Mrs. Sprott was M. So they are this these high ranking officials. Nice. And the, all the old ratty children's books, as you guys had said, were used to store secret information with the invisible ink that she had used with her, her shoelaces, Mrs. Brown. Nice. And the goosey goosey gander, the reason why it was the most important one is because it contained the names of all of the secret operate operatives that had infiltrated British parliament and the army and secret service. Mm. So they're basically able to take down this operation in one foul swoop with this book, which seems ridiculous. You would never put the names all together. Yeah. (laughs) And whatever. So, so that's going on there. So did they get Tommy out? 
yeah they get tommy tommy's fine okay tommy tommy's there and they're kind of they're all talking about this together and mr grant explains to them that and i or i think carl might explain it he's he's allowed out he and one of you i think also said this he was a british operative uh he had been in germany placed in germany and he had been living with the real carl von dienem uh, and Carl von Dienem did have two brothers in concentration camps and his father had died and he did hate the Nazis and was was trying to become a refugee. And uh, the, the who, whoever was pretending to be Carl, I don't remember his actual name, he had recognized that the British, quote unquote, British government was really making like bending over backwards to allow Carl to come into the country. Yeah. And what he had realized is that these, these, this, these fifth columnists we're trying to get Carl to work at this chemical factory as an escape goat, as a scapegoat for NRM. Oh. So these, and he's a British operative. So he knows this. He, he, Carl ends up committing suicide back in Germany. So this guy, this British service guy takes his place and goes to oh. England to kind of see what's going to happen. And so these papers were placed on and the shoelaces were placed and he was used as if anything went wrong, Carl would take the blame. Mm, but Carl was a British spy the whole time. So they... Carl wasn't even Carl. Carl was so he was never really jailed. He did get jailed because he hadn't told anyone this. Oh, and yeah. Okay. The local police didn't. Uh, yeah. Didn't okay. Not only the local police, but the Secret Service thought he was dead because he had traded places with Carl back in Germany. So it looked as if his persona had died, whereas Carl had continued to England. Mm. So he'd been like a deep, deep uh, cover cover that's crazy yeah twist is there anything else i'm trying to think oh perenna what was perenna doing acting so weird yeah she was just she was just part of the ira being weird about it mustard was she like this is just like i don't know stressed out on the walk or what like did she see somebody get hit no so so it's mrs sprott that said that she was flustered it was mrs sprott that had hit so she she probably was just outside checking the weather, and she probably wasn't flustered. But Mrs. Sprott had said she was. Sprott was like, "Oh, look all this suspicious stuff going on." <laughs> right, exactly. And so she she had taken that telephone call while, while they were playing bridge, and it was Captain Hastings saying, "Listen, Tommy's you need to you need to get rid of Tommy." And so she had cracked Tommy on the back of the head with a hammer and been part of the getting rid of him. Man, crazy. Yeah. So do we really know if Mr. Um, like if there really was that German spy who lived there or like did the house ever really like they just they went from one spy to the other? I have a feeling that the the German spy did exist and that Captain Haydock had to be able to play up his character of being super British. Probably the German spy was like lower ranking and so maybe didn't even know that Captain Haydock was N. And so they did capture this German guy and Captain Haydock did buy the house. Okay. Yeah, it's a good way to like, sort of like throw the throw the pressure off you. Just be like, oh, screw exactly. German spies. Yep, yep. So it had been all it had been and it, like the guy bought the house in like the twenties, so it had been a super long con. Yeah, crazy. Man, this is a good go. story. I really like. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. You guys crushed it. That was <laughs> extremely impressive. <laughs> Thank nice. you. Yeah, no, so, I was I was pretty confident with the. With the um, invisible ink or whatever, I was like, I was like, <laughs> sprouts, sprouts evil. It's because we're such a good couple. We're we're so good at solving <laughs> mysteries. <laughs>
Well, listen, there's one, I think there's one more Tommy and Tuppence story. So maybe sometime later this year. Oh my God, that'd be great. To take a crack at it. <laughs> they're going to be like a hundred years old in this one. <laughs> I think they're only 60 in the next one. Crazy. It's like 20 years later. That's insane. Yeah. Thanks for having us on, Caitlin. Yeah, thanks so much. This was fun. I hope I hope everyone listening at home had the same guesses as Connor and Emily, and you all guessed it correctly. If you would like to contact the show, you can email TuesdayNightMysteryClub at gmail.com. If you would like more mystery book content and you want show podcast updates or when, when episodes get released, you can follow the show on Instagram at TuesdayNightMysteryClub. And if you'd like to support the show further and get bonus content, you can subscribe on Patreon at patreon.com slash Tuesday Night Mystery Club. We have one of our patrons with us, Emily Shilton. So thank you. Proud to be and, <laughs> Yeah. And our thank you to our other patrons, Barb McLean, Michael Brello, and Debbie Kravis. Any final thoughts, guys? Yeah, this was so much fun. Yeah. Happy yeah, uh, Valentine's time. Month. Yeah, happy Valentine's Month. Yeah, yeah, happy Valentine's Month, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.